Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can worship you together. Father, it's a privilege we are appreciating more and more. We just pray that we would not allow the many forces arrayed against us that use different techniques to distract, to get us to become complacent, to get us to lose our fear and wonder and awe of who you truly are and our gratitude for what you have done. Father, we pray that we could lift up our eyes from the confusing glitter and and look to the hills from whence come our help, to, to look to the, the God who is our creator for instruction and guidance as to who we are and what we have been made uh, to be and our purpose. Father, we pray for a, a drink from that life-giving stream that would be unpolluted and would be pure and that could give us the insight and Lord we need much more than knowledge we have so much we pray for the courage to actually implement and to put into practice the things you are teaching despite being so contrary to the philosophy of this world we ask for you to speak to our hearts in the name of Jesus Christ amen As uh, we were counseling recently with some souls, and I, I realize it's been a very long time since I've heard this passage being uh, meditated on, so I, I felt convicted to uh, read this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I invite you to come and read it with me. We're going to read the first half of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I have delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. And every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither is the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? 
Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. I like to finish with that verse. Can we? Uh... The Lord is worthy that we bow. Dear Father in heaven, it is with joy that we bow before thee this morning. It is with thanksgiving in our hearts as we bow before a God who is greater than we can conceive, a God that is not something we have formed with our own hands, a God that is the one that has formed us, who has spoken us into being, who has breathed the breath of life into us. Dear Father, what a great and awesome God. Dear Father, we would never want to carve thee into our own image. We would never want to form thee and make thee into our understanding and down to our level, dear Father, but we would instead want to prostrate ourselves before thee and open ourselves up to thee and hear the word of the Lord. Dear Father, we're thankful for this morning hour and that time we have the quiet time around thy word when we can make sense of maybe what we've struggled with in the past week, the past months, when we can allow that clear light, the sunshine that shines from the Father heart uh, to disinfect, as it were, to, to, to open up what we've been holding on to and maybe what's giving us pain and misery. Dear Father, we know that that is found in thy word, in the gathering of, of like-minded hearts around thy word, dear Father, not to speak to each other, dear Father, but to hear from thee, to hear from the living true God. Dear Father, that is the act of worship we, we desire this morning that we know we desperately need, and we know that it is through thy Holy Spirit that this is accomplished, that as we humble ourselves before it, as we put others out of our minds and, 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 and um, stop trying to apply that word first to others, but first to ourselves, that thou art able to transform us and make us instru into instruments, put us in thy order, in thy thy plan for creation. Dear Father, help us to do that this morning. Help us to be, uh, to avail ourselves to that. We pray for the brother. We pray for the brother that is going to preach this word, uh, to deliver it to us as a minister, as a servant of thine and of us. Dear Father, meet his needs. Uh, supply what he is needing, dear Father, as each one of us that are uh, earthen vessels as we handle this word. Dear Father, we know we need that power from on high. Dear Father, we pray for those that aren't with us this morning physically gathering, maybe those that are online that are, are tuning in. We pray that their needs would be met this morning too through the powerful, all-powerful word, through Jesus Christ, who is the risen Lord and Savior, the living word. Dear Father, we pray that they would see him this morning. They would be encouraged, that they would be drawn back and as they're able and as they, they are restored physically, to gather with us again physically. Dear Father, we pray for those in foreign countries, those that are preaching this word and living it in very different circumstances than ours, that maybe have to adapt to whole different sets of uh, uh, cultural restrictions or, or uh, governmental uh, persecution. Dear Father, whatever it may be, we know the word is not bound 
Uh, it is powerful and everywhere on this globe people are being transformed. We pray that that work would continue until thou wouldst come again, that we would be part of it, dear Father. We would not be slack in thy vineyard, but we would be laboring and, and eagerly anticipating when thou wilt come again, when thou returns that that Lord did from the far country to, to take account, to see what thy servants have done. Dear Father, uh, lastly, we pray for those that are sick among us, those that are struggling with illnesses, those that maybe are wondering what the future will hold for them, if they will ever be free from this, or if what, they, what they're struggling with now will lead to their physical death. Dear Father, we pray for comfort for them. We pray for healing. We pray for that all according to thy word, that thy will, dear Father. We know that thou dost work in the hearts and in the minds of thy children through all circumstances, be they difficult and, and challenging or, or delightful circumstances too. Thou speakest to us in each and every circumstance. Dear Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, the one who laid down his life for us, the one who was at the top, who was equal with God, who was part of the Godhead and humbled himself and went to the bottom and went to the lowest of the low. Dear Father, he showed us truly who thou art. He showed us thy, thy love and thy heart, and it is in his name that we're able to pray these things and to, to worship and praise thee. Amen. As I said, uh, we were out west. We were really privileged to uh, be in the mountains of the Rockies. It's a very beautiful part of our country. And uh, some things are dramatic about that, are, are, are the, the rushing streams. And they start off pure. You have these glaciers that are of pure water and this clear water that comes from there. And, and then as it kind of goes down the mountain and it picks up soil and things, you, you can almost see, you see the main stream it's already begun muddy and as, as it's with the power pounding the rocks and and then you this blue river kind of joins it and you can see this line very clear you know this blue water joins the brown and guess what color it becomes you know it also becomes brown uh, this morning as i woke up and uh, beginning of the day my thoughts are clear and i can reflect on, on, on God's viewpoint of things and, and then as the day goes on and all these pressures and interruptions and media and uh, stresses come, it kind of muddies my thoughts. That's why it's often good to spend time with God in the morning when your mind is clear. In in many ways, our collective thinking can also get muddy as it goes downstream. And so this is the point of the week in which we can come and we set aside we, the distractions. We're privileged to come together as a body and we're come not about what people think, not about uh, what uh, we're seeing through some sort of streaming media, but, but we're trying to come to the, the pure water of the word of life and trying to understand 
from the source, the pure source, God himself, who we are and why we are here and uh, try to understand through that pure light rather than through the many confusing and conflicting messages that we, we get throughout the week. There are two ways I could go about this message. The one is we could get right into the words and into the Greek. I was getting a private Greek lesson just before. I'm sorry I missed some of the singing as a result. Um, I want to step back and get a little bit of the big, big picture before we, we dive into this. This passage, when I was young, this was a hotly debated topic. Everybody was a theologian and they dug into these words and, 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 and tried to understand it because it was very contentious. We don't even talk about it anymore. And from my perspective now, looking back and just trying to understand it from the flow of history, I think, as I understand, we, last week we were kind of looking at Isaiah and how God was reflecting on the culture and how the culture had bought into these lies and was being very self-destructive and how he, in mercy, was going to have to intervene um, to, to rescue uh, the Jewish nation from the lies they're believing. And we look at our lies that we are believing, some of the things that are clear to us. We see the confusion, for example, some of the things that are most obvious are confusion about gender, for example. Right? I was talking to a young parents a couple weeks ago and they're saying, oh, this our kids, this is the water they swim in. It's just around them. They, 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 they don't know anything else. But for us who have maybe a bit more gray hair, it's like, how can you possibly believe that there's no difference between a man and a woman, that they're interchangeable, or that you can change your identity from day to day? It seems it's, it's hard to conceive that, but for them, this is what they've been taught from from preschool days on, and so it's like, yeah, of course, how can you think any differently? That gender is different than sex, you know, the one is how you think of yourself, and that can be influenced as just a social construct versus a biological reality. But do we ever think about why, how we got here, and, and what the historical process is and kind of what's at stake. Uh, last time I was at this pulpit, it was Father's Day. And I felt God laying in my heart to challenge men to be godly men, to, to stand up to the biblical calling of what it means to be a man because that is being challenged. The idea of being 
courageous and protecting and providing and, and uh, being a servant, a sacrificial servant, as opposed to a selfish, self-interested, you know, couch potato, I don't know how to, to put it, um, a consumer instead of a provider. This morning, I think God is challenging me, and it is a challenge because I have to go against all my social programming to try to see things from God's point of view, is what does it mean to be a woman as well? What does godly womanhood look like? And it, and it is different. It is, as we read here, um, for as the woman is of the man, even so the man is by the woman in all things of God. God is the creator, and we read in Genesis 1 that in his image we were created man and woman. So both of us reflect the character and the image of God, and both of us are of God and valuable um, inherently that no one can take away, not by what we do or what economic value we provide or whatever measure, utilitarian measure, you can put on it. We are inherently worthwhile because we are of God and we reflect the image of God. But we have different roles. We have, God has created us in a way that is a beautiful um, reflection of him because even he is a multi-part even he is a trinity and he incorporates love from eternity past love was not created in a point of time but has always existed in the god who is love and who has complementary and distinct roles within its amazing unity of the godhead so paul is, is challenging us to base our actions on these ultimate realities and that the way we act, the way we appear reflects the reality of, the, of creation and of God himself. And as I said last time I was at this pulpit, it is no wonder that this is what's being attacked. It is no wonder that the, the forces of, of evil the, that we wrestle against, the powers of darkness, are attacking the image of God because it is the God that Satan is rebelling against and wanting to hurt and destroy that he is muddying the face of blurring the distinctions of, erasing the image of, as he tries to reprogram us through, through a flood of lies, a flood that you need to be a rock to resist that force that is threatening to overwhelm and sweep you away, that is indoctrinating everyone that has 
a cell phone or turns on the TV or goes to school, you are being messaged and manipulated. And it is not the Illuminati, it is not, you know, whatever um, uh, conspiracy you're ascribing to, there is a coordinated force behind it that is not human. And that's why it is God's image that's at stake and God's honor that is at stake whether we believe this word and we live this word and so what we see now as gender confusion began as feminism you know and has been been trying to blur God's created order and the reflection of who he is and this is, is a flow of history that we need to be conscious to not be swept along with. I, I know I for myself, I can see, even though I went to school in the 70s, I can see the deep imprint of that programming that I need to fight against. And so I want to challenge you to look inside yourself and try to reprogram yourself, not according to what's socially acceptable, but according to God's design. So be open to how God sees things. God is not an oppressive patriarchy. God is the God of who is love. God is the God who is the source of good. That all good gifts come from him, from whom there's no, no shadow. And he is teaching us to bless us, not to oppress us. And, and it's the filter of, of, of seeing benevolent authority, male authority as a, as, as, as a curse. That is a very effective strategy to keep us from submitting to God himself, the ultimate benevolent male authority. Be ye followers of me, Paul says, even as I also am of Jesus Christ. He's praising the church. We're now at verse 2. You can follow along. We're going to get into the words. I praise you that you keep the ordinances, the things that are ordained by God as the way we should live, the design, even as Paul delivered them, when you deliver something, you're an intermediary, you receive something and you deliver it to someone else. These are things that Paul has received of God, he has delivered to the church, and he's thankful that they are keeping and remembering them. And now he's teaching, he's going to teach through multiple supporting arguments a particular um, expression of, of um, submission to God. And his first argument, verse 3 here, the head of every man is Christ. Hopefully that's not something that's controversial, that each man needs to submit to Jesus Christ that he is 
our authority. That's kind of what I mean by the word kephalos by head here. And the head of the woman is the man. That God is placing men in authority over the woman, not as a form of oppression, but as a form of blessing and protection and provision. That is the role, complementary roles he has designed. And lest the woman feel that they are somehow, um, that this is an inferior role. Let's finish the verse. And the head of Christ is God. Do we see Jesus Christ as being weak? A doormat? Someone who has lost his ability to, to uh, achieve his design and potential because he is submitting to God? Because he is accepting God the Father as his authority? We honor the Lord Jesus Christ because in that position of the Garden of Gethsemane when he is kneeling and wrestling with that very question, do I submit to the authority of God at the expense of my own comfort? He chose. He chose to submit. It was not easy. Hebrews tells us he learned obedience through much pain, through crying, he even says. We honor him. It is an honorable thing to be under the authority of God. Now, not every man is an honorable, protective uh, reflection of Jesus Christ. We see that in Ephesians 5, he, he tries to explain what this is supposed to look like and how the man is supposed to be like Jesus Christ was to the church and that the man was needed to love his wife to the point of being willing to give himself for her as Christ gave himself for the church. That's the, the protection. This, this thing about men and women it's, it's important to Satan and at such a big target because it's, it's a, a spiritual mystery that is being erased. The mystery of what it, the right relationship between Christ and the Father, the right relationship between Christ and the church, which is all of us, is being reflected through the right relationship between a man and a woman. And to reflect this order of creation, this order of authority here, is what he's, he's is arguing in verse 3. He's, he's explaining, as a result of this order of authority, we reflect that authority when we come to worship God, when we pray or prophesy, we speak by inspiration. Um, we, every man who does that, needs to have his head, if he, if he does it, with his head covered, we dishonor our head, which we have seen here is Jesus Christ. 
That's why it, it matters whether you wear your hat or whatever. Um, this may go against certain religious traditions. In fact, it was um, against even the Jewish tradition, right? Where even the Jewish priests had to wear mitres and we see that some, some denominations might take on some of those Jewish forms or, uh, but here, this is the word of God. And God is saying, I am revealing more clearly through Jesus Christ how you are to worship and now that we take the veil off our face when we approach God we need to uncover our heads and we need to reflect God and honor God as we pray and we prophesy by respectfully taking off the hat taking off whatever that covering is but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. And that, now this is the point that people start to, to get a little bit confused and where the lots of the questions come in. So because the woman's head is man, if she prays or prophesies without covering her head, she is dishonoring that head, her, the, 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 the male authority. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. That part may sound confusing. Goes on to say, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. So it's saying that if a woman is coming to God, or is praying, is a speaking by inspiration of God, she needs to have her head covered. If she's not going to cover her head, she should cut off her hair. That she should be shorn or shaven. I'm not interpreting, I am reading the words of God. You may ask why. What's this about cutting off the hair and how does that fit into this part about fitting under God's order of authority? Well, later on, we're going to read um, in verse 15, if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her. Her hair is given her for a club covering so the hair is a glorious thing. It's a beautiful thing. The, the word covering there is a different word, Greek word. And it talks about being cast around as a, as a decorative, peribolean. And so when we come to God's presence, we need to not, uh, you know, glory in his presence. And so by covering that glory, she is not upstaging God if you will, um, that she is covering what is God has given to her to be a beautiful, glorious thing. That is a glory. So if we look at the glory, we said the head order is God. The head of Christ is God. The head of the man is the Christ. The head of the woman is man. The glory of Christ is man, which is why we need to be uncovered. The glory of man is the woman and the glory of the woman is her hair. 
her long hair, according to this passage. And so by covering that hair, she is, she is hiding that glory and not uh, in, in the presence of God. Let no flesh glory in his presence. And if she's not going to cover it, then she should cut it off. That is kind of what it is saying here, right? And then in that sense, it makes sense. For the man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. So our first line of reasoning is the order of authority. The second line of reasoning, which we're getting into with the, the, the cutting of the hair and the covering is being the glory of, right? Because the man is the glory of God, he needs to un not cover his head. Because the woman is the glory of man, man's not supposed to glory in God's presence. So it doesn't matter how beautiful my wife is in God's presence, that's not what the focus is. I'm going to cover that. And I'm going to come to God and, 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 and glorify him, not myself. So we've got two lines of reasoning here, the order of authority, the order of glory. And then he goes on to say, now the order of creation. Uh, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. We know in Genesis 2 how, how the man was, it was not good for man to be alone, and God created him a helpmeet that was specifically fit. It was from his rib, um, that, but it was... Uh, uh, a purpose that was God had created him just as even the same word uh, for the Holy Spirit is, is that same come alongside uh, word neither was man created for the one for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels again at first reading this may sound confusing but we do know that the scripture talks about the angels being present um, in worship the angels being present when we pray the angels responding to prayer we read in Daniel how the God sent the angel in response to his prayer to answer it we read in Peter how the angels are on tiptoe to look they are they are very much um, interested in in what is we are doing in our attitude and reflection of God. They, they are, in a sense, observers. They have never experienced Christ dying for them, the, the, the hope of redemption. Those fallen angels have no such hope or grace offered to them. But we do, and even though we don't really marvel enough at the incredible thing that we deserve damnation and yet the Son of God died in our place. But the angels, they're very much aware of how incredible that is. And they are, are very, like I said, on tiptoe watching this. And for them, worship is important. And when we, we see the attitude of the angels as they come in God's presence, they have six wings only two they need to fly. The other four, they need to cover themselves in the very presence of God, to cover their head, their feet, and their, 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 they are coming into God's presence covered. 
And so it matters to them that they see us also come into God's presence, covering our glory. For the man, that means we need to have our wives covered because they are our glory. For the woman, they need to have their hair covered because that is their glory. We, and the angels themselves exemplify this and it matters to them. <clears throat> and now he's doing his fourth and final line of reasoning. We're at uh, verse 13. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Saying, don't you even naturally sense and feel this? Is this not even intuitive to you as you observe this? It says, doth not even nature teach you? Isn't it natural, right? As he talks in Romans 1 about what is natural for the pairing of, of the sexes, here he's talking about what is natural and beautiful. That if a man has long hair, it's a shame to him. But if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her. Now, our cultural preferences can be influenced by the images that we observe, by what's idolized and promoted as, as, as worthy of adoration. But naturally and throughout history and, and, and without that pressure, you know, a male... Um, uh, image is with the short hair that is a glorious thing and a woman with the long hair that is a glory to her and, and that is given to her for God by God so we've had four lines of reasoning there are many objections that I fortunately if you start to Google this, you won't find any supportive things, you'll find every way out of the clear implications of these four lines of reasoning that we have just read together as a, as a very simple taking God at his word, reading. The f one is, oh, there you go, I found my way out. Her hair is given her for a covering. Ta-da, I don't need to put anything else on, I've got myself covered. But wait a minute, if earlier it said you need to cut off your hair if you don't have it covered, how does that fit with your hair being the prayer covering that is being talked of in verse 6? We have a logical contradiction. That, that, that can't be what it means. And like we said, when we look at the Greek word, it's a different word. It's talking about that glorious decoration as opposed to the covering of that glory. People try, oh, notice the word when it says covered, it's an adjective. And the other word was uh, a, a, a verb to cover, and this one's a noun. So that's why it's different, right? These are all the same things. They're just verb, adjective, noun. They're very different Greek words. You can go ask Alex or Constantine. They will tell you these are different Greek words. 
And there is the, the noun verb of catalupton, or Constantine's gonna correct my pronunciation. There is a noun for that. That is, that is really grasping at straws. And we have to ask ourselves, why are we grasping at straws? Why are we looking for a way out? Why is it that we don't take God at his word? And it comes back to that big picture. Are we being swept by this stream of anti-God mentality that is our culture? Is it more important to us to fit into the cultural norms of this ungodly society than it is for us to fit into the very words of God? We have a choice. I have heard so many excuses through the decades. You know, I'm going to look silly. It's going to be hot and uncomfortable. We were in the midst of the biggest heat wave in history in the Rocky Mountains, and there were lots of people with full head coverings. And they weren't complaining. And they didn't mind the fact that they looked different than the rest of society. Why do we? Why does it matter to me so much that I want to be accepted by the people who unwittingly are being manipulated to erase the image of God? Why would I corroborate that? We have to realize that this isn't just a token. I worry that because we don't even talk about the words of God anymore, that this is a token. This is my token of membership in the ACC. This is my, and this becomes a token obedience. And it is a tradition. It gets lumped in with a lot of other things that we have as a denomination to perhaps enhance godliness. And, 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 but head coverings is just like, for example, we have separate seating here. Separate seating is not taught in the word of God. Okay? It may be good for singing. It may be good to avoid distraction. There may be good and godly reasons why we choose to have separate seating, but it's not taught by the Word of God. This, I was reading the Bible. I was reading the plain words of God. We cannot simply say, oh, but nobody else does it. That sounds like my kids. And it doesn't wash, and it won't wash when we have to stand before God. And we have to realize that if we do not stand, we the people of God, do not stand up and resist the ungodly flow of history 
and take a stand and be willing to act and live and dress differently, where are they going to see the reflection of God? If they do not see godly families because the head covering doesn't do it all, if they do not see godly submission, if they do not see loving, committed, brave fathers that are willing to lead and be committed to and invest in their families, if, they're not, if they do not see the image of God in our relationships, if they do not see us acting out God's design in the roles he has assigned to us, as Jesus was assigned the role to be the savior of all mankind and had to submit to that heavy cross. If I cannot submit to the role I have been given in reflecting God in this day and age, which if any time needs to have someone to stand up and reflect God in contrast to, as opposed to appeasing this is the time. We need to decide to follow Christ and not the world. Let's realize what is at stake. It is God's glory. And it is a watching world that is not going to see the exit ramp from this flow that is heading over a waterfall to the plunge into destruction if they do not see us going in a different direction. It is the angelic realm that is watching to see, was Jesus' sacrifice worth it? Do these people appreciate the price that was paid for them? Do they care and reflect what, what God has, has designed them to be? That choice is ours today. The last verse that we read here. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Is Paul just simply dropping the issue, as it were? If anyone wants to argue about this, okay, then we don't have any custom of the churches of God. No, that's not the correct understanding or interpretation of this verse. If anyone wants to argue about it, this, we have no custom of arguing about this. We have no custom of, of disregarding some of God's commandments and putting aside some of them and let's debate it now. What kind of father would I be if I gave an instruction to my children and then they decided I'm not going to obey this dad. This, this, this particular thing I'm going to try to talk you out of it. I would be a poor father. Now I'm an earthly father and I have a lot of failings as I'm very aware of every day and sometimes the things I instruct are not always for the, the the right thing or the wise thing but God is not that way all of the things that he instructs the instructions that he gives 
are always wise and always for our best and our good. And so I'd encourage you this morning that even this instruction here, this simple thing of, of covering or uncovering your head is a way that you can experience and know more of the nature of God as you obey it. Just like you can experience more of the nature of God as you exercise yourself in his body. These instructions are all given for our good, for our increase in godliness. Let's pray the Lord helps us to see that way, that we don't uh, bulk at these things, that we don't go the other way where it's just a tokenism, where we just check this off as another thing we've done and this is, or take pride in it like the Pharisees did and lift ourselves up, but that we see the real heart in this, the heart of submission, of Christ unto God, of man unto Christ, of the woman unto the man. And God be glorified in that. We have a choice this morning whether we're going to do that or whether we're going to go with the rest of the world and, and choose uh, Google explanations over God's clear uh, word and instruction. May the Lord give us that grace and that strength to obey him and to reap the benefits, the joy of, of being heavenly, of children of our heavenly father. We, with that, we conclude this morning's service.